0: The following program is a proud member of the Palaver family of podcasts. Check out all the shows over at palaver.com. That's P A L
1: A V R dot com. Can I transpose
0: you? You're listening to The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema with Big Willie and the Samurai. Bringing class to trash since nineteen seventy seven.
1: So, welcome to another episode of the
0: GGTMC. Uh, I am Large William is my very good friend, the one and only Sammy. Yes, indeed. On the Skype phone call again.
1: Yes, he's on the Skype phone call uh, on a headset. I'm on an exercise ball recording from the floor, so hopefully this <laughs> will turn out. Um, so this is our Diabolic episode of the month, and it was my turn to pick from Diabolic. So uh, I opted to pick 1970's The Bird with the Crystal Plumage from Dario Argento, uh, the giallo that uh, a lot of people think really uh paved the way for the genre to go where it did um in 1971's The Night Digger which is a British sort of psychosexual thriller that oddly enough I didn't realize how much these two films had in common until I watched them Yeah, it's kind of weird ain't it. It's kind of weird that they, that we doubled them. You know, it would almost seem like a double that could play together.
0: Well, you had never seen The Night Digger either, right? No, I mean I'd known about it, but I didn't know like right. I had never seen it certainly, so I had not even ever heard of it. So, it was all new to me, all fresh.
1: Yes. So, I guess you very much the Anglo-Saxon point of view and the Italian point of view on similar things. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, this is episode 171? That's 170. 170, okay. Moving on up, almost at 175. Yeah, getting there. Very nice, very nice. So, um, the Bird of the Crystal plumage is going to be the Arrow Blu-ray. Um I guess I'll, you know, we can probably jump into it in a few minutes here, but of course before we do that, I think we should probably talk about what we've been watching this week because we're in the the the, the thick and the throes of uh, Le Cram for the year-end.
0: Yeah, and, and I'm almost done. I know uh, you're getting close to done, too. I think you're pretty much really in a lot of ways done. You're just kind of, everything's like icing at this point. If you get to it, you get to it. So That's right. I won't be heartbroken if I don't get to anything. Yeah, and right now I got a few more. I just got a couple in the mail today from Netflix. I got... Uh, uh, I think 50-50 I'm going to watch, and uh, something else. Something else that's on the list. Oh, somebody recommended that I check out The Lincoln Lawyer, so I'm going to check that out.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. That's right. So, I heard some surprisingly good things about it, too.
0: Yeah, so I'm going to check those two out. But in the interim, I only watched two films last week. I've been watching a lot of River Monsters because uh, I've had a little bit of a chest cold, so you might hear me cough occasionally. Uh, and so I didn't really feel like doing anything. wasn't even motivated enough to put a disc in, the, in a DVD player, so... I just, you know, streamed some River Monsters, which is a show that uh, I quite enjoy. I know you like it quite a bit, too. Oh, yeah, super cool. And uh, so I've been watching that mostly. But I did get to in. I watched uh, The Devil's Double. or guess that was called The yeah, Devil's the Double. Yeah, The Devil's Double, yeah. Yeah, or The Double Devil. I don't <laughs> The, <laughs> the double, double, double Down, man, The Double yeah. Deuce. <laughs> <laughs> I watched that on the recommendation of a good friend of the show, Aaron. And uh, i got to say, it's a good wreck, man. It's a good film. Uh don't know where it's going to fall in my top 30, but I will say it'll probably be in my top 30 somewhere. Wow. So uh, I, I recommend people check it out. People might have overlooked it. It doesn't have uh, big, big stars in it. and this It's directed by Lee Tamahori, so it is directed by a, a well-known director, maybe well-known nowadays for being arrested in female clothing. <laughs> but uh you know he did, did some other good stuff mahan falls i believe was that was it called mahan drive maybe maybe that's what it was called yeah the one with nick nolte and or mahan falls i believe that one's called yeah, mahan yeah. falls yeah and once were warriors some good films in there did a couple of bond films too no yeah i think he did i know he did at least one i believe so yeah. you know but uh you know it's it's a good film definitely uh, check it out it's very interesting stuff uh I'll be interested to see what you think of it. You might like it, you might not. I don't know. We'll find out. You
1: want to for sure, though.
0: Yeah. The only other one I watched was Moneyball, nice. which I like Moneyball quite a bit. Um, don't know where I stand on it. I know you watched it this week too, I believe. So yes. Don't know quite where I stand on it. I will say here's what I'll say, and this is, in, and we'll see what happens at the end of the year show. I will say it is a very well acted and very very well written film. I will Absolutely. Say that. I will say that. And Brad Pitt. Talk about an actor who's kind of on fire right now. I mean, that's a that was a really solid solid performance. I was really impressed, and uh, also I should say because I always give him hell, but I was really impressed with Jonah Hill. So
1: couldn't agree with you more. Yeah. Could not agree with you more. I also I actually I hate Jonah Hill now. And his <laughs> kind of his kind of fat, loud mouth cuss act. Like hey, I don't I swear a lot. I don't problem with swearing, but just his act kind of was wearing thin with me. But yeah. man, he was really good in this. I'm I'm really happy that he got a nomination
0: yeah really really good
1: and, and Pitt yeah also Pitt was fantastic so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: and it should be said Philip Seymour Hoffman's very good too
1: yeah he is doesn't look much like Art Howe but he uh <laughs>
0: yeah. you know, yeah. I thought that was a bit of a stretch but I liked how he played the kind of curmudgeonly kind of uh you know grumpy manager and stuff but that's really the keys very well written very well acted and uh mm-hmm. I'll leave it at that for now
1: yes yes okay so those are what you've watched this week then
0: that's pretty much it, yeah, other than River Monsters, so, you
1: know. Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> um, did I talk about The Descendants last week? I think I did.
0: Yeah, I think you
1: did, yeah. Okay, so I did that. Moneyball, which I thought was very good, pleasantly surprised. Um, it's always interesting to see a sports film take place in an era that I'm familiar with. Like, I, I mean I, I mean, familiar with as sort of a grown man, because mm, right, you know, right. this is 10 years old, basically, right? So, right, right. Very interesting. Um, then I got around to a film that somehow I didn't even know was directed by Roman Polanski, and that was Carnage.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, the new film, the new Polanski film. Yeah, yeah. That's right.
1: Yeah. I had no idea for some reason it was directed by uh, directed by him. So it's very much um, um, what's the what would be the term a comedy of manners or lack thereof or something like that. Yeah, yeah,
0: um, and it's it's basically like a like a play in a lot yes, of ways too, right? Yeah.
1: Very much feels like it could be a play because it takes place in sort of a New York loft uh, between two par- two sets of parents. One set played by Kate Winslet and Christoph Waltz. The other one played by John C. Riley and Jodie Foster. Their sons, who were, I guess, in elementary or junior high. I did say elementary school. One punches one of the other one one's teeth out. They go to reconcile, and you know things dance around from being passive aggressive to flattered aggressive, and in um, sort of a, a, a scathing words way, not so much you know right. like a martyr's type way or anything. But um, but I really enjoyed it. Uh, it probably won't be top thirty for me, but it's it's tight, man. It's seventy eight minutes long um i thought everyone was fantastic in it uh i thought i'm a guy that that loves john c riley but um I don't know, man. This comedy stuff's kind of throw him off his mojo a bit for me, but this was a nice return to form because to me, he was running with three heavyweights. I mean, people can say it through Willabel Foster, but I think she's one of the best actresses of our time. Yeah. Um, Winslet, no question. I mean, there's not even, I don't even need to say that. And, and Waltz is just sublime. So they're all, all really good in it. So it's, it's entertaining. It's very good. I, I'd say everyone should check it out. I know Justin from Mondo Film hated it. So, you know, <laughs> chocolate vanilla, chocolate vanilla. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, then I watched a Korean film, you know, very much an independent Korean film. The Day He Arrives, it sort of has like a French New Wave kind of feel to it, but a small-time film director who returns to Seoul, uh, South Korea, to just meet up with some friends, and just it's about conversation and drinking and that sort of a film. Mm -hmm. Um, Quite good, though, if quite simple, certainly. Um, Then I watched Take Shelter, which is a film that had been very high up my list as far as anticipation. Right, right. Um, I actually, truth be told, I got about 40 minutes left to watch of it, so... I'm probably going to finish that up this week, but it's, I don't know what, i do not being coy, I truly don't know where I'm going to stand with it. Okay. So i got to finish it, and then we'll see. Um, Shannon's good in it, though, I will say that. Um, then I was on the podcast Without Honor and Humanity, uh, as were you, and I had to rewatch my favorite of the Lone Wolf and Cub series, Baby Carton Peril, the fourth film. Um, so that was good. Uh, I love that film. You can listen to our review over there. And uh, oh, and then I watched a couple um, Jerry Lewis films because yeah, I'm still, sure. still cramming. I did Cinderfella, which is of course his take on Cinderella with uh, Henry Silva playing one of the wicked stepbrothers. <laughs> yeah, which Silva's good in it. Um, the other stepbrother not so much. It's it's okay. It's it's not it's minor Lewis for me as far as what I've seen. I've seen about a handful so far. Um, and then by Baby, which is again sort of a more straight. You know, it's 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 not as zany as some of us stuff from Manic, but it's still good and sweet. So, yeah, I know you can hear my reviews on uh, the Mondo podcast next month. Nice. Looking so forward to that. Yes, I'm looking forward to. Also, man, I got to ask you. I tried to download your episodes that you guys did, and they weren't available.
0: Yeah, I don't know what was going on there. I don't. Uh, you know, you going to have to adjust it up. I really don't know what's going mm-hmm.
1: on there. I thought they were because he was sneak peeking them for us and then I was going to listen on the weekend. I was like, man, these aren't up there. Is this a Canadian thing? And then a Canadian guy chimed in. He's like, I'm in Canada. Is this geoblocked? And he's like, no, no, uh, <laughs> just check back or something. But I don't know. So, yeah, hopefully we'll get to listen to those sooner than later. Mm-hmm. So with that being said, why don't we take a break and Sounds uh, good. get into some Dario and uh, the Bird of the Crystal Plumage. Are you looking for a way to connect with people who like the things that you like? Whether it's music, movies, TV, or whatever you're into, head on over to the palaver.com forums. <clears throat> yes, yes, but, but forums, forums and message boards, and boards are elitist and archaic. Well, yeah, maybe if you're a asshole. Palaver.com is home to all your favorite podcasts. So why not head over there now? Start talking about all the things you want to talk about. That's palaver.com. P-A-L-A-V-R.com. to listen to hot wings and coffee be consumed thankfully <laughs> it's different people consuming each product because that's a killer combination oh that is and the porcelain would be consuming us if. Ooh. it's a terrible combination to be told to be quite honest
0: but. yeah yeah i don't like drinking anything hot when i'm eating something hot that's just miserable yeah that is
1: <laughs> yeah but uh yeah we're gonna do we're gonna start out with the Arrow release of The Bird with the Crystal Plumage uh, This is again our Diabolic DVD episode They were kind enough to Sponsor an episode for us each month And this was my choice, these two films So it's a film that both of us had seen before But it had been quite some time Now I think something I'm just going to get out of the way You know, um, first and foremost Is that there's a lot of talk And up in arms about The aspect ratio of this film uh-huh. The DOP Storaro um, had, I'm going to presume, had the rights to the best available print of the film um, that Blue Underground hadn't already locked up and put out. And it was a thing where this is put out in a bit of a, a wonky ratio that this DOP has come to believe is the best way to view film, view his films inexplicably. Now, this was he's a DOP of great acclaim. I mean, he did Apocalypse Now and a number of other fantastic projects, but. I think it was something where Arrow, to get the best available material, had to kind of concede that, okay, we're going to put it out in this. I can't remember what term he uses for this, uh, this aspect ratio, but there's something he calls it. But anyway, so, you know, it's in a bit of a wonky aspect ratio. So, you know, such is life. Sammy's uh, playing Thriller over there. You can hear the door yeah. opening.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm walking out to, I'm going to pick a pizza as we podcast.
1: Nice. Nice. Um, so, yeah, it's got that wonky kind of uh, aspect ratio, which I will say, you know, you'd watched it before I did, and I asked you if it, it bothered you much, and you said there's only a couple instances, and i got to say, for me, the opening looked really cropped, but then after that, I didn't really realize it.
0: Yeah, there was one moment that really stood. There was a moment where... I can't hear you. you start, up, And he's supposed to be in the forefront, team, and I think there's a or something. And he's off to the left. always you know, at his face than that, it's the beginning is a lot of up and stuff, but it's not real, but it's not real. Ooh, excuse me,
1: man. You're really, uh, really staticky, really broken up.
0: <laughs> That's probably as i around. You're probably, uh, you know, you're probably here a little bit. I'll put it back up. Hopefully I'll put back up. Do yeah. you want me to repeat what I just said?
1: No, I, I got the gist of it. I got the gist of it. Okay. So, um yeah, you and I talked off the air. I'll take the lead on this one then and, and yeah, we'll just kinda we'll we'll roll around with it. So, you know, you know what I find very interesting, a lot of people say this is the first proper Jallo, but I think a lot of people are forgetting that Mario Bava had had done Jallo with the black gloves and with the red herrings and with the gorgeous women being slain uh some years earlier.
0: I think that Art Gento gets a lot of credit for you know, the the Sometimes he gets the credit for the creation of the Jallo. I don't know if he's the creator as much as he is the refiner.
1: I would agree with that because I'm much more in the Argento camp than the Bava camp, as I've said, and I've, I think you even feel. Um, yeah. and I think
0: I'll, I'll give you Argento over Bava. How's that?
1: Okay, there we go. There we go. <laughs> so, yeah, but I think certainly he elevated it to the next level and brought sort of more attention to it. Yes. so I think we can say that but just to, I think to people to say he invented it or he was the originator that, that's unfair to Bava as much as I prefer Argento right um, a couple of pieces of trivia that I picked up um, from the bonuses, bonus bonus uh, features on the disc and some of the liner notes and I, this is something I had known and I've never mentioned this when covering giallo but I guess because we're trying such an early giallo that it's worth mentioning that uh, the giallos as we all know have come from the, the yellow jacketed the term giallo means yellow and it comes from the yellow jacket or yellow spined uh, murder mystery novels that would be on sale in Italian drug stores and so forth. Now, they were typically uh, English, I think it's is it Edgar Berry or Edgar Wallace novels and things like that, but further, before Giallo came along, there was the Creamy, the Creamy films, or I don't know, Creamy, however you want to say it, K-R-I-M-I from Germany, and they were very similar to the Giallo, except they weren't as sort of sleazy and, and, and rompy, but a lot of the same elements with the red herrings and the murders and so forth we're all present in these films. Um so there you go. And you know another thing too that just uh, Argento wrote this film, it was his first film and I'd found out that um the studio initially wanted either Duccio Tessari or Ferdinando Baldi to direct it, which I thought would have made a completely different film and probably not, no I can say certainly not the the film that this is.
0: Yeah, Baldy's uh he was a, as I've talked about him before, because we've had him on our show before, he's, he's a pretty good spaghetti western director, and he made some other good action films and stuff, but not, I, I can't see him making this, this film.
1: No, no, and to sorry, I can't remember, is it, um, Perfume of a Woman in Black, or the Bloodstained Butterfly, he made a really good Jalo, but I, I don't think, again, I mean, no, no, no disrespect to him, but. You know.
0: Didn't we? Didn't we? Did we cover a Tsari film?
1: I think we have covered a Tsari Western. Oh, I can't remember now. Yeah, it's hard uh, to remember. Yeah, certainly, certainly. But um, yeah, and I mean, this has a really great cast. Um, that you know, a lot of times you get with with some of the more high end Jalo, and what kind of separates them a lot of times from the uh, lesser ones is you know we get Susie Kendall was a staple of the genre and was sort of the the final girl as it were and and one of our favorite i think your favorite and one of my probably top three favorite giallo uh torso so the cast uh further to that further to susie we have enrico maria salerno who you know an older italian character actor he done a lot of great films you know did some eurocrime stuff did some more serious uh, non-genre stuff but he turns up in this as the inspector inspector morosini um we get Mario Weidorf in a small performance, which we'll both talk about a little bit later on. It's, it's pretty memorable. And we get Tony Massanti, who is someone that, um, you know, he primarily did TV and American work, but he certainly had been over and worked in Europe a little bit, uh, being an Italian-American, certainly. Um, and, uh, yeah, so, I mean, this film, it does have a lot of the things that we've, we've come to know as um, really est- essential staples of the genre we get uh the black gloves we get the the shiny blades on the red velvet and you know this shows early on because i think argento's mother worked in fashion photography that he really knows how to compose a shot and he really knows how to accentuate colors in his films and we see early on the red really plays a primary a really distinct role in the film
0: right right yeah and not only that but i mean you get a lot of great this great setup shots. This is where you really start. I mean, it's a first film, and it's a it's a very assured first film. That's oh, yeah. one of the things I think people can take away from it. The next two films afterwards, I liked, uh, mm. but I like this one more of the quote unquote animals trilogy, they yeah. call it. Yeah. Uh, this one I like the most of the three. Uh, but what's impressive about that really is that, you know, there's such a sure hand. And in, in our. It should be said. Dido had already worked on other things. He had written scripts, and, and uh, you know he'd been in the business, but this yeah, uh, was, was is his first director effort, and he just really, yeah. And there's just a lot of confidence. There's just a lot of confidence in this first film. It's like he had it. You know, he had this film boiling for quite some time.
1: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, he had, yeah it's something that he had. Uh, I know he'd end up. It was an idea he'd had in his head for quite some time, but it, it, the actual writing of it was only five days, if you can believe it.
0: Which is pretty. Incredible. It, it, it's. It's funny. it's in some ways it's a lot more dense than a lot of his like jally films. It, yeah. It's like but you know, it's amazing that he kind of ripped it you know, ripped it out in like 5 days because it's it's a very heavy uh heavy mystery based screenplay.
1: Yeah, it is because a lot of his films I think this film is is and I was going to say this later on, but I'll say it now. It's I feel like the most one of the most technically clean of his films like Yeah. Uh, it 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 feels like a gentle but in, at the same time it it, it doesn't – like there's a good balance between performance from the actors, um, the atmosphere, the, the production. I mean everything feels very balanced and, and, and quite excellent in this, whereas some st- other films of his he can be accused of focusing too much on cinematography or too much on colors or too much on mood. But this one has a real good balance to it.
0: Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. Um, I'm going to mute myself here in a second because I'm getting ready to talk to a delivery guy.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's fine. I'll <laughs> just talk for a minute then. All right. So, yeah, like, you know, like Sammy just said, it is something that I think really technically, and it was when I took away. It was when actually, I think it was probably my second or third Argento. Now, full disclosure, I've still never seen Four Flies on Grey Velvet, which is kind of odd considering Argento is one of my favorite filmmakers. But, you know, that's just, uh, just the way it goes, I guess. Um, hopefully I'll get around to it at some point. Um, I will. I don't know why I'm saying hopefully. Uh, now, the film, you probably wonder where it gets its title because it is a pretty striking title. And the, the title makes sense, which I think a lot of times with Jolly, the titles are just um, absurdly dense, sometimes for the, the sake of density. But this one is practical and it makes complete sense once you've seen the film. So – it is a really great title and, you know, uh, there's a great moment early on in the film when I, th- I believe it's Musanti is walking through um, – and, and it should be said too, he very much plays sort of the – like the Hemmings character in Deep Red, uh, the the foreigner abroad who kind of gets caught up in a mystery, uh, a murder mystery uh, or or attempted murder mystery and you're back. Right, right. Yeah, I'm back. Um,
0: but you, you know, hear me go in the door of my house here in a minute and you might hear dogs go ape shit.
1: Okay, for sure, no problem. Um, but yeah, so he's very much kind of the hapless uh, American or, or foreigner abroad that is you know thrust into a situation in a this strange country. Um, but yeah, there's early on, there's that really striking shot or that, that sequence where it shows all these, these um, bird cages. right. And this is all these corridors of birds, and it was just you know early on, it's just something that it's a throwaway moment, but it really looks fantastic.
0: Yeah, yeah, there, there's so many moments in this film that look great. I actually forgot, I had seen this film before. I had actually, I heard you talking and uh, I was on mute, but I have seen all of the. Hey, man, hey, hey chill out. Lab, we got a Labrador attack Hang on like a second. Nice. Chill out, man. <laughs> it sounds like I heard him. But all I yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> all I did was touch him, but he's such a baby. But anyway, uh, the uh, I'd seen all three of these films and stuff, and that's why I said I like this one the most, but uh, <clears throat> um, the. The shots in the film are the reason why I like this one the most of the three of the animals, quote unquote, trilogy. Now, I think all of these films are heading up to my favorite Argento film, Deep Red. I mean, they were all exercises getting to what I consider his masterpiece Jolly film. Right. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, you see little bits and pieces and flourishes and stuff. But like, would you bring up like the little little thing with the bird and everything else? There's some nice little moments there, maybe some foreshadowing or some things to come and stuff.
1: Well, that's well, that's one of the things before. Sorry, you cut out there.
0: Uh, no, it's okay. I'm, I'm I'm okay. I'm
1: good. <laughs> okay, and that's that's one of the great things about this film, like you'd mentioned with the assured hand, is that he does some pretty audacious things in this film. That coming from a first-time director, it's like, wow, man, you really had the chops and the nuts and the vision to pull this off. Because he, unlike a lot of Jala, you know, one of the things that's a big criticism of Jali in general is uh, a lot of the bullshit cycle babble and the red herrings and stuff that just don't make any sense. Or the killer doesn't make any sense, but. Everything in this makes sense. You're given a few red herrings, but not not so much over it. It's just more they're trying to see which path you're going to go down. But you're given clues. I mean, you're absolutely given clues as to um, the killer's identity in this. And, yeah, and, and, you're and he, clues. He, it's so audacious, like when it's actually done. I don't want to say too much, but he really dangles it in front of your nose.
0: Dangling is even more prevalent and stuff. Uh, of course, if you haven't seen it before, you're probably going to be You know, pretty surprised. And like you said, unlike a lot of Yellow films, this one doesn't, it isn't so far fetched. It isn't like, uh, you know, like just fucking out of left field, uh, you know, tying it up at the end, which I think a lot of them, especially when you started getting to the BG Alley films Mm -hmm. by lesser directors, Mm -hmm. you started seeing more and more crazy and wild endings to them. You know what I
1: mean? Yeah, where they would have five minutes of someone explaining all the psycho babble. Yeah. Yeah, you know,
0: but no, and I think that's
1: true because this is was only the second, second or third time I'd seen it, but I hadn't seen it in probably at least five or six years. Right. And knowing what I knew, um, you you really see the genius in his dangling of things, like because you know fully what you're gonna what to expect. So it it is done quite well. So, right. kudos to him for that. Um, the see what's interesting about this film too is that this evolves around revolves around a near murder, an attempted murder.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: And there's that beautiful white storefront where it all starts, and it's just so fucking beautiful, man. So striking with the white, and it's almost like this um, like this pop art storefront exhibit. And it's really great. Like he's he's walking by and he sees something happening. this struggle up on like a a little catwalk in this uh, storefront, and he gets over there and, and he can't get in to do anything because it's glass. It's there's a glass wall and the door is kind of locked. It's like a like an automated type door. And, he right. gets, and then he gets in between the two glass walls. There's one and then there's another one. And then he gets in between them and he witnesses all this happen. And there's a really, really great use of slow motion that really makes it feel drawn out and painful that mm-hmm. this woman that's gotten stabbed. Right. You know, like it just works fantastically.
0: Right, right. I, I would imagine that maybe he's trying to say like when people see acts of violence, sometimes they see them in slow motion stuff and of course he plays with that throughout the film flashbacks and things like that it should be said i have to say that that set piece of that storefront and that whole opening there that whole opening attempted murder is arguably one of argento's most well crafted like cinematic moments out of out of all of his films it's not it's not his best but it's definitely one of his most well crafted
1: I totally agree. It's one of my favorites and it's one of his most well-crafted out of everything he's ever done. Right. I I I adore that set piece and the way it's it's done. Like I just I think it's just masterful. Right. Uh, and you know what else is masterful is the fact that the score for this film, you know, he his name became sort of synonymous with Goblin and vice versa. This film, however, is scored by someone with all due respect to Goblin, um, who is probably the, the master in a lot of people's eyes of um, of composers, and that's of course Ennio Morricone, right? And this score is just it's just fantastic. I mean, it's kind of it's it's um, in some ways it's almost like the film in that it's a little bit avant-garde, it's a little bit experimental, it's very jazzy, and it's almost like it echoes the film in that it was breaking new ground within the confines of a bit of an age-old cinematic um, story. You know, he's taking music jazz that, you know, has been around for quite some time and really opening it up and spreading his wings and really using it to great effect throughout the film.
0: Right, right.
1: So, you know, that's fantastic. Um, I can't remember his name now. Fuck. He's the redheaded cop that we see more in the background in this than anything. Yeah, yeah. That, that guy shows up in everything, man. Is it <laughs> Giuseppe Castellano, maybe? I don't know. Uh
0: yeah, I think it is. I think it is I don't is. know, I don't have IMG.
1: I think it's Giuseppe Castellano. But he uh yeah he So he I just, can't
0: sound like a movie genius to
1: Yes, exactly. Um but yeah, so anyway, we had talked about Deep Red. Uh this film very much is it's like you had said, it, it sort of lays the groundwork for Deep Red and, and the way it, it toys with memory and perception. Right, right. Which is really genius, man. Like again, I just I can't say that enough. Um and, yeah, we get the foreigner forced to become the detective. Now, one thing early on that doesn't really feel – it's not so much to me, an Argento uh, thing. It's certainly more of a Fulci thing <laughs> is that early on, man, uh is walking walking through some serious pea soup. <laughs> yes. Holy cow, man. <laughs> like that was just uh, – wow. I hadn't – you know, just unbelievable. Yeah. Um. I love when he when uh, Masanti. I think was it Musanti? or was it no the woman? I guess that was the attempted the woman that murdered her attempted murder. Um, she's about to do the lineup at the, the police station, and then the, the cop says, "Bring in the perverts." Yeah. You get a tranny yeah. and this
0: yeah, you get you get a trainee and they get upset that the tranny's in there.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um, what does it say? Interesting clues he gives. Oh yeah, we already talked about that. Interesting clues. Uh, He gives if you know what's up with the film Um, because one of the genius things – and I can't say too much about this for people that haven't seen it – is he relies and has faith that even 40 years later, we as the viewer are going to make certain assumptions about the way things are said and what's said uh, based on – oh, I can't say too much. But we're going to make certain assumptions about about the killer. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. So I can't really say much more than that. But he, he that certainly pays off his, his gamble that we as people would do that. Right. Um, the Honeywell 1200 is one hell of a computer.
0: <laughs> yes, it is indeed. Takes up the <laughs> whole room, man. Got yeah. the, I got a—I I got a dog barking again. The uh, there must be said that uh, it isn't also a computer. And I bet that computer printout in that one scene was really cool. In 1970, but not so much now. Right.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. Like the dot matrix, man. Yeah. yeah, I I haven't seen that paper in, in ages. But the little uh, the perforated edges on the side with the holes in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we get J and B, which is good. It's it is Italy, so it's uh, it's hoisted around quite frequently. Um, this this also deals with a theme that that Argento would return back to very often, and that's voyeurism. So Tony Massanti keeps our sweater streak alive this week with this kind of bluer 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 blue velour V-neck number.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's a he's a stylish guy, man. He wears some like some like brick colored like uh like adobe hut colored pants. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, man. Um, there's a paint say let me let me say there, there's the one scene in the film where he, and I have to bring this up now because I'm I, I got a feeling our our show is going to be spotty at best today, so it's best that if I just go ahead and kind of go through my notes <laughs> as you're going through, yeah, your notes. yeah, There, there's a point in the film where Visante goes to see uh goes to an arts or an art uh store, okay? And this this art store has the most aggressively homosexual uh owner I have ever seen in a film. <laughs> <laughs> Did you get the sense that this guy was like seriously aggressive?
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you and, see that a lot, unfortunately in the
0: <laughs> Yeah, in those days. And then not only that, but he ends up getting a painting and then there's another scene of dialogue between him and his girlfriend where she's, she's like there's something perverse about this painting and I'm like, "Yeah, no shit."
1: <laughs> yeah, you think?
0: It's it's only a painting of somebody being stabbed.
1: Yeah, in the like in the snow just brutalized. Yeah. I'd say so. <laughs> yeah. uh, and that painting, I, I want to say I I would love. Like if I if I had a lot of money, I'd love to track down that actual painter or even a print of it and get it framed because I'm I'm no painting expert or art expert but I don't know, I look kind of Dutch or I don't know. It, it was a really great painting though. I love that painting, man.
0: Yes, yeah, especially when we find out who painted it, right?
1: Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um Argento really draws out the suspense well in this film. Again, we mentioned it earlier, but every moment where Musante's being stalked, or someone's being stalked, or someone's going to be killed, it just, the suspense is so fantastic. Uh, Salerno in this has a thinner mustache than John Waters, somehow.
0: Yeah, he, he arguably may have the thinnest mustache in cinema history. He does, man,
1: because that thing, blink and you'll miss it.
0: It's arguably, I, I mean,. I, this is a Blu-ray transfer, and there were moments when I had to pause to make sure you had a mustache.
1: Yeah, because it's thin and low, man. He <laughs> keeps that thing low to his
0: lip. You might hear a crying, baby. I got a very upset uh, little boy who just came home from the park, and as you know, they go, they don't want to come home no. when they go to the park.
1: No, never, <laughs> never. Um, in addition to the red, I love Argento's use of yellow in the film.
0: Yeah. yeah Looks yeah, really I mean- great. I mean, some of the thing issues I have with Argento is, and I know this is some of the things you find strengths in him. I believe color ev- eventually became like like the an French. orgasm. Yeah, like it be- it became like an orgasm for him. It became his thing, and I think he became obsessed with it. But I do like the way he handles it a lot in this film, and then of course some of his other early work, but this one in particular.
1: Oh yeah, and you know he cast great faces in this film too. Like um, really great kind of character actor. Always plays like a villain or a henchman. Reggie Nalder.
0: Oh, yeah, Reggie Nalder. you know, he's been on our show before, man. He was in uh, Savano 7. Yes, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so it's very cool.
1: Reggie Naldor shows up in a really great yellow, kind of <laughs> uh, like Rebel Without a Cause, but yellow jacket. Yeah, yeah and, it's,
0: uh, it's, it almost looks like a rain jacket, too.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's just fantastic. And that, that's a great moment because then it's got this wonderful reveal with – you know, a hundred yellow jackets and blue hats. Yes. So that's a really great nice. moment too. just kind of teasing.
0: One of my favorite moments in all of our gentle cinema is that whole action piece with uh, Nalder and Masante.
1: Oh yeah. It's fantastic. It's really fantastic.
0: So like he uh, missed his calling. I'm so kind of sad. He never made a girl crime film really.
1: Yeah, I know, man. I know. Cause there's that the whole thing with the buses and, you know, the chase foot chase It's a really good moment, man. Yeah. Um, I got to say, man, Susie Kendall, she's beautiful, and do you know she was married to Dudley Moore of all people? I didn't know that. Yeah. You did know that?
0: I didn't know that. No, yeah, I didn't know. Oh know,
1: man, fucking Dudley pulling the nice birds, man. Pulled his own <laughs> bird with crystal, with his crystal plumage. <laughs> yeah, really. Um, Kendall, Susie Kendall, in this rocks this garbage, garbage bag hat that's even too much for Blossom to wear. <laughs> yeah, it's ridiculous. She's a gorgeous one, but that hat's ridiculous for sure, <laughs> yeah, man.
0: It's bad. It's bad. Oh,
1: we see the beautiful kind of spiral, triangular. The, I guess the triangular staircase, which it became so commonly used in Jolly representing, you know, psychological issues and, you know, mazes and a lot of other things. But we see it in this and it is a beautiful staircase.
0: It is. It is. Uh, you know, that's the one thing I got to say about this film. For a first film, I, was, I know I said uh, sure hand and the way he shoots it and everything else. But we, we never really talk about this much. But location shooting or the scouting for this film Oh. It, it must be another thing that Argento just really—he must have just had all of these locations in mind because he just uses them all really well. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's used as well as like he would eventually use in like Deep Red or even in Suspiria, which uses location really good. Mm-hmm. But uh, actually, probably my favorite thing about Suspiria is the way it uses location. Yeah, yeah. But uh, you know that—that that is something that—and that's what the weird thing about Argento is. It even when we talk about directors falling from grace. Uh, you know, I've seen some pretty bad falls, but I mean, his is, his has really been spectacular. I mean, yeah. it's really been, and I, and I say that in in a, in a cheeky way, obviously, yeah. but I mean, it's really been a spectacular fall because if you see his early work and then everything arguably past maybe Stendhal syndrome, maybe.
1: Maybe um, somewhere in
0: there the card
1: player is not i don't know sleepless isn't bad i should say either
0: yeah i think the card player is kind of dull but it is sleepless yeah. yeah but there's little moments in between but i think everything arguably maybe past phenomena people kind of have issues with in some way or shape or form
1: yeah because there's usually universal acclaim up until that but then once you get from that point onward you get people like me who say, No, well, no, hang on, you know, Stendhal's good, or this is good, yeah. but, yeah, but yeah. up until that point, it was pretty much universal acclaim.
0: Which a lot of people blast his Phantom of the Opera. I know you blast it in two and stuff, but there's actually yeah. moments of his Phantom of the Opera I actually think are really good. Yeah. But, but it's only moments. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, but exactly. I'd, just say, I'd, I'd say with the, the locations, because I know we're heading toward the, the Mario Adorf scene, and it's oh, yeah. another great location.
1: It's a fantastic location, and this he plays <laughs> Berto <laughs> Consalvi. <laughs> the great Mario Adorf with great hair, um, and it's, it's it's this great farmhouse yeah. right before Masanti is going to leave Italy because it's just gnawing at him, and what's great is the guy who drives him to the farmhouse says, you know, the doors have all been walled up, uh, the whole place has been walled up, you know, because he doesn't want people in there, so Musanti's calling for um, Consalvi and this and that, and a ladder comes flying out the window. At first, you think the guy's going to throw something at him to get a shoe him away, but it's a ladder. That's all you see. It's like, okay, he's going to go up there, and kind of like, what the fuck is he getting into here?
0: Yeah, yeah. Which you know, it brings the whole new meaning to the Chris uh, Uncle Cat Chris's famous saying on the show.
1: It certainly does, because <laughs> Consalvi certainly does. Yes. <laughs> he likes the fat ones too. Yeah
0: yes indeed
1: so, but yeah he's an artist and he's at this time he's going through his mystical period
0: mm-hmm.
1: and i think that's kind of maybe a poke at, at hippies and artists and and maybe even specifically an italian artist i don't know i you know but it's it seems to be a very specific thing but it's amusing um and it's a really funny bit with the food and it shows that argento can do little bits of comedy because this guy's clearly uh, a shut-in and he's clearly if not completely insane he's you know, halfway there, and he offers some some wine and some food to Musanti's character. Musanti doesn't want to offend him because anything will potentially set off this guy. So well,
0: that's whenever a very, that's a very Italian thing, anyway, wouldn't you say? I mean, oh yeah, to offer food and drink. I mean, that's a very Italian thing.
1: Very much it is. Very mm-hmm. much it is. And it's a funny bit because every chance Musanti gets, he's cleaning the fork more. He's dumping <laughs> more food down off the table and, and you know trying to act like he's nonchalantly eating it and enjoying it. So it was actually a funny bit that you know, Leonardo's not really known for, and he doesn't. I was talking. About, I can't think of too many other amusing moments. Well, he had some moments, some of the make cute stuff we both like in uh, Deep Red, but but he's better at that stuff than I think we ever remember.
0: Yeah, because we always remember him for his you know shocking moments or his set pieces Rural, and everything else. Yeah, and I really like that scene. What I like about the Musante is he's trying to get rid of the meat he's eating, but he ends up in a situation where he has to eat a piece. Yeah. And that's where the real comedy comes in because it really pays off. That scene is really so well written. And it's really a shame. Adorf's only in the film roughly, what, five minutes?
1: Yeah, five, seven minutes, something like that.
0: With, with possibly the, the well, let's just say this is what Liberace's hair probably looked like when he woke up. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he's got this wild mane of hair. But he's really only in five minutes, but he's just, you know, you just see that charisma that's Mario Adorf uh, right there in those five minutes. It's so great just to see those two actors working together.
1: And it's great. And I won't spoil that scene, but I will say, what's the matter? You don't like cats? <laughs> so, it's really great. And then, you know, so yeah, the tense, again, get back to the tension. When Kendall realizes that the killer's outside, you know, and this lamp knocks over, now it's dark in the room. And, you know, it's really, really tense, man. And again, like, it gets your pulse. I've seen this film three times now. I know the outcome, and I'm still like, ooh, this is tense.
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's it's still well done. I, you know, watching it again, I bet I've watched it probably roughly the same amount of times you have, three or four. Yeah, maybe even five times. Mm-hmm. And uh, it still works. The film still works.
1: Yeah, it does. And like you had said to me, and I had forgotten about the day for night stuff. It works really great too. Really great. I
0: actually, I actually think because it's so well crafted, I think this is one of those films that you can, you know, we say this statement about a lot of films, but this is one of those few films where, on revisits, it rewards you yes. a little bit more each time.
1: Yes. Um, I do want to say the husband in this, not the not Masanti, but the, the woman who was attacked, she has a husband oh, in this. He really reminded me of a cross between Anthony Perkins and Ben Gazzara. Rest in peace, Ben.
0: Yeah, rest in peace, Ben. But uh, I didn't get the Gazzara, but I definitely got the Perkins.
1: Yeah, totally, man. And then there's that famous shot of the eyes darting back and forth in like a little wooden hole, which is great. Oh, yeah. And uh, you know what's great, too, is that there's a moment when, when Argento teases the viewer like, as if you're going to go, aha. And because someone has an – I don't want to spoil too much. There's a knife in someone's hand mm-hmm. and you're like, aha. I, and my wife did this. She goes, I knew it was that person. Yep. And then she finds out it's not that person. And I just yep. smile because it's him kind of dangling one last little thing in front of you. Um and then there's that we return to the set piece that starts it all off, and that's a great little set piece. And again, it's wonderfully tense. That person, when you see – and the killer has been revealed, that killer at that point has a terrifying face. And this is going to sound odd, but a f- terrifying mouth for some reason. <laughs> their mouth very wide open and a lot of teeth, and it was just very unsettling for me.
0: Yeah, yeah. I always have issues with people with a lot of teeth in their mouth. Mm. It's always kind of freaked me out. Andre yeah. the Giant's mouth, Sid Haig's mouth freaks me out. Yeah. No.
1: You have a thing for mouths, mouth, um, uh, oh, yeah. oral, oral imperfections, thick tongues yeah. and too many teeth.
0: Yeah, when Reggie Nalder's mouth is hideous too, man. Yeah,
1: yeah, he had some sort of an accident, I think. Yeah,
0: yeah it was a burn. He had a real yeah. bad face burn. It's
1: too bad because he got it bad, man. I'm glad he was still able to work a lot.
0: Yeah, he worked he worked, uh, he worked a lot, yeah, a lot. If you go through his filmography, I mean, we'll be talking about Reggie Nalder again.
1: Oh, yeah, he'll pop up. And uh, last thing, something else popped up, the good old cinematic karate chop to the back of the neck that knocks the person out devastating devastating even in italy
0: Yeah. in real life it would probably just be like what the hell are you doing yeah yeah (laughs) i gotta i gotta learn how to perfect that chop me too man sorry i'm eating cheesy bread as i'm reviewing the film here um all right man i don't really have a whole lot more to add uh i just really you know i think it's the probably one of the uh the interesting things i got a note on here says check the actor who plays the pimp i wonder i wonder who that was anyway
1: oh yeah because he had a really that was another great face in this film
0: yeah i can't remember who that actor uh, was he had a great face I'll he, have had to look great, a he had great eyes like huge yeah. really big eyes
1: mm-hmm.
0: and they were really great but i can't remember what his name was and i don't have a computer in front of me but I'll,
1: I'll try to look it up as we're talking here
0: but the uh the things i liked about it are pretty much what i said i mean it's it's really just impressive and and when i talk about argento a lot I'll say you know he's I'll say he's overrated and stuff a little bit of that stuff just to get a rise out of Argento files right but mm-hmm. it's the same thing as like a De Palma to me I mean you don't you're talking about a person who at one point in time was riding the highs of highs but when they hit rock bottom I mean they really hit it and uh, De Palma's career is pretty similar in a lot of ways it, it it gets kind of was you know going 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 maybe a few little hiccups here and there and then it hits this this kind of apex which you can like for me goes both ways love and hate. For you, kind of goes more toward love, mm-hmm. but it hits this apex of of talent. And then afterwards, you got all these De Palma films that are average to pretty good, uh, if not just solid. But then you also got a lot of junk in there. But then that and the, and these two guys, I always compare these two because I've always felt like De Palma rips off. They say he rips off Hitchcock, but I always feel like he rips off Argento. Morning Rich rips off Hitchcock. Agreed. I always feel like he was actually like privy because you know he's an italian american he was privy to maybe some italian cinema when nobody else was really seeing no it no
1: one else would have been
0: yeah and he was kind of riffing on it a little bit similar to like you yeah. know tarantino coming back and riffing on european and italian cinema and people being out of people's eyes for so long the people are like oh look at this master and they're like oh no no he's ripping people off but you're know, not ripping them off as much as you know paying homage to him i just don't think the palma ever because argento was his peer as opposed to hitchcock who was an influence i don't think palma would ever admit that but i mean jesus if you see dressed to kill I mean. that
1: is a shallow as shallow <laughs> as american and that's the most i'm um, trying to say it's the most shallow american film ever
0: yeah it's well it's it's it, to me it's like a top five yellow i won't even call it an american film because it literally is a jalo film
1: it is it's so good
0: <laughs> yeah it is it really is that good and and everything but uh yeah no i, I love the B in the film i love musanti in the film the film's well acted it's well cast like you said the faces and everything else uh, I'm sure at some point in time we might talk about the other animals. It would be fun to do Four Flies on Grey Velvet since you haven't seen it. That would be kind of fun to do at some point. But yeah, uh, and, it, and I'm sure you know the way these Arrow releases go and things like that. We might even get around. I mean, we were joking around about it off air, but it seems like you know we've become the Fulci Argento show. But those seem to be like some of the first films that new video labels pick up. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. And they're interesting to talk about, especially because they're visually so impressive. And then when you get take a visual medium like Blu-ray; it's it's uh, you know worth revisiting.
0: And what I will also add because really you pretty much covered everything in the film you m- people might like the deep, the uh, blue underground disc a little bit more it's it's a little bit more saturated in color this one's a little more pale in some spots
1: which works I think with the whites yeah. and some of the other colors
0: I think it works too I think I actually like this transfer better because it kind of has a more modern feel well, the, the film is more ti- yeah it feels a little bit more timeless mm-hmm Whereas I think the ones with the sometimes with the colors and stuff, they kind of, you know, you immediately look at them, you say, OK, that's definitely a 70s film. Now, if the if the hair and the fashions didn't give it away or the garbage bag hats, <laughs> then, you know, or Reggie awesome raincoat. Yes. You know, like the dark side of Curious George. <laughs> you <know? laughs> Can you imagine that guy with a pet monkey? Oh, yeah, I think, yeah, yeah. It seems like he had a pet monkey in Zavano 7. Maybe I'm making that up. I don't know. I don't know, but I'd like it to be true.
1: <laughs> that's the revisionist history.
0: Yeah, <laughs> But I think that, you know, I like this I like this take quite a bit because the, the transfer on this and uh, the, the – I haven't had a chance to go through the bonus features and stuff. I'm really looking forward to going through the uh, commentary because it's done by – Kim Newman. Alan Jones. I know Alan Jones is on there, and he's a big-time Argento guy.
1: Yeah, I think Alan Jones and Kim Newman do it, who I think yeah. – from what I've heard, and correct me if I'm wrong, I heard they don't get along the greatest, but they keep it very professional. And it is a pretty good, informative – um, commentary until like the last you know few minutes or something but yeah, yeah. Th- th- this disc as with arrow there's a great special features a really great interview with him 15 minutes long there's a great um interview with Martino talking about birds uh, in, uh influence on on the genre so it's, yeah, yeah it's worth picking up man
0: yeah it's really it's really interesting the Mar- I watched some of the Martino interview it's it's very interesting because uh, Martino unlike uh, some other filmmakers he's never really been shy about admitting when something that he's kind of riffing on yep and yeah, he's definitely a B movie director. He knew that, and you know, I would never really consider Martino an auteur, no. but I just consider him like a really solid like filmmaker.
1: A fucking, you know? Yeah, favorite of both of ours for sure. Yeah.
0: But uh, that's really all I got. As long as you make a breaks and stuff.
1: Gildo DeMarco. <laughs> nice. Gildo DeMarco, and he was in Trinity. Is still my name, and yes. Four Flies on Grey Velvet. So he'll pop yes. back up.
0: Yes, yes. I remember him from the Trinity film. That's where I remember him
1: from. He's got a face that once you've seen it once, you see it again, you'll never never, forget
0: it. We've never done that Trinity sequel. We need to do that at some point.
1: We should, man. Bring it full circle. And, of course, he was in the the, the Spaghetti Western, and they smelled the strange, exciting, dangerous scent of dollars. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) So, with Rosalba Neri, maybe that's worth looking into. Um, So, my make or break is, I don't know, for me, it couldn't be anything except... And I've used this word a lot with this this set piece, and I believe it firmly applies the audaciousness and the brilliant execution of the attempt, uh, attempted murder and the reveal uh, at that attempted murder. Uh, just just that whole set piece, man. it's unbelievable. Um, MVT gotta
0: be argento. You'll hear me laugh a little bit. I'm chasing my son up and down the hallway. Oh,
1: no, that's cool, man. That's cool. Uh, MVT is Argento, and my score is an 8 out of 10.
0: Well, Large William, we do this sometimes, and we've done it <laughs> a lot lately. It's very odd. This one, this one, I think, though, I think I saw everything that you were going to pick, mm-hmm. and you probably thought the same thing. I mean, I pretty oh, yeah. much gave away my make-or-break scene when I talked about and I pretty much knew yours, too, anyway, because that set piece with the uh, the art gallery is just amazing. Oh, yeah. So, you know, you you can't go against that. That's just like a great moment in cinema, not just in mm-hmm. Argento cinema. It's like you know, like one of those highlight reel type horror. Like yeah. if like horror compilations, of, like Italian cinema, this that would be in there. You know, some other totally. moments like the uh, the glass falling in Suspiria and stuff like that. Oh yeah. Uh, my MVT also Argento, and it's strictly because I really like Masante in this film, but it's strictly because he's so confident in this first film that it's like you know he was it's literally in some ways like reservoir dogs which is something i can think of, or maybe maybe like uh, like hard 8 which i think's also oh, a very confident Oh that's a good film man yeah. yeah it's a very confident film not a perfect film
1: but yeah confident because he makes decisions that are a little more signs of an assured hand
0: right right like here comes his director paul thomas anderson and boom he just hits you in the face and is like wow this guy's got a lot of nuts you know he gives mm-hmm. us a very dialogue heavy you know, film, he puts an actor in it who's not a box office, well, no box officer, I guess Gwyneth Paltrow was close to a box office Oh he yeah, had Samuel L. Jackson
1: Philip in there, Baker but, Hall, but he was more...
0: Yeah, but his time had come and gone. Yeah. I mean, he, you know, I mean, he was very popular in the 70s. I know he did the Altman film Nixon, which was very popular, but... Yes. Uh, but anyway, the, uh, the the sure hand to have these, you know, this this confidence that he had was just, you know, it's like one of the great debuts in cinema history. You know, it's like immediately there's this young pup and boom, he's got something to say. Yep. You know, I mean, even Leone didn't have this great a debut, so that says something about Argento.
1: Yeah, I've never seen any of those Peplum films that Leone did. <laughs> we ought to do one sometime. We've we never do.
0: We never done a Peplum film anyway. We ought no, to do one sometime. no,
1: man. We should sometime. Yeah, Steve Reeves.
0: If we're going to do one, we should do a Leone one. <laughs> yeah, I agree. <laughs> Because I don't know how many of those we'd actually do.
1: Yeah, I'm not really down with the peplum, to be honest with you. But,
0: yeah. <laughs> you peplum know. just sounds—it sounds like like some kind of discharge from like a bad penis or something. Hey. You know?
1: <laughs> yeah, or 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 ironically, pablum, <laughs> yeah. Um, Which, if you have a discharge, you'll be feeding someone pablum instead of peplum someday.
0: Ooh, ooh. Yeah. Anyway, um, I do want to. The, s- the film is identical as, as yours too. It's, it's eight out of ten. This film's an eight out of ten all day long. It. It gets better on each viewing. It does have some flaws, so I say it stays in the eight realm. But I think eight is, you know, eight to me, eight is like a really, really good film. Like almost like a great film in a lot of ways. Yeah. So I think this film is right there.
1: And it's in the, it's the right um, amount. It's the right running time. It's like 95 minutes. It's perfect. It doesn't yeah. overstay its welcome by being you know an hour and 55 or something. You know, right, it's nice right, and tight. Exactly. Uh, you, you know what? We should do one time. We should do an episode where um, we have a vote. We we do a peplum film by Leone, and then we do a kaiju film because those are two genres that we just really won't ever visit.
0: Yeah, well, I I I think I know the kaiju film we're going to be covering. I
1: I think I know too, based (laughs) on a recent release, for sure, (laughs) for sure. Yeah, yeah.
0: So the Citizen Kane of kaiju films, unbelievable. (laughs) Yes, I
1: I think that's a fair fair uh, statement. One last thing, interestingly, Argento says in this interview that his sister was Fellini's secretary, so I thought that was very interesting.
0: Yeah, see, he was just surrounded by all that stuff. You know, it's like you know this 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 kid couldn't fail. No. You know, and he didn't. I'll give you that. I mean, for most of the 70s, even though I don't always love all the stuff he put out, he really didn't fail. But, you know, it's just, you know, he's he's fallen from grace, like I say, spectacularly. You know, it's, just been, it's been a magnificent fall, as only a true Italian artist could do. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, it is a pretty spectacular flame out, man. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I still like to cover yellow at some point in time, just to have you watch it and hear your replies.
1: Oh, my cry is more like it. I'd be seeing it through... St- tears, finding my tears.
0: <laughs> all right, that's all I got.
1: Okay, I think we're gonna take a break then, and we're gonna come back with uh, a bit of a different film, The Night. No, actually, no. Well, different in terms of sensibilities, maybe, and aesthetic, but similar in terms of themes, perhaps. Uh, yes. 1971's The Night Digger. We will nice. be right back to dig in to The Night Digger.
0: Crom, um, I have never played to you before. I have no tongue for it. No one, not even you, will remember if we were good podcasters or bad. Why we recorded or why we voicemailed. All that matters is Metal Mikey stood
1: against many. That's what's important. Valor pleases you, Crom. So grant me one request. Grant me action attraction. And if you do not listen, let to hell with you. Action Attraction, the Action Movie Review Podcast. You can find Action Attraction through MetalMikey.Lipson.com or at www.PennyCult.com or by searching for Action Attraction in iTunes. exercise ball. I don't think you're having hot wings anymore. You're probably having pizza. Uh,
0: well, I had some cheesy bread. You know, uh, Domino's likes to advertise their new bread, which is very tasty, especially if you dip it in a nice mango habanero sauce. Very Ooh. delicious. <laughs> very <nice>. delicious.
1: <laughs> very nice indeed. Yes. Um, okay, so yeah, 1971's the Night Digger. An unknown quantity for you, and certainly... This had only come to me because uh, Warner Archives had put it out and I'd seen the poster, which is a pretty interesting poster. It's got the, the painted head of a man with these goggles on and the title kinda grabbed me and
0: pretty great poster, I must say.
1: Yeah, I like the poster. And another thing that grabbed me, uh, I if I may say so, is the fact that Raw Dahl wrote
0: this. Yeah. Yeah, this is some of his more adult material, I would say.
1: I would certainly say so, considering, you know, Willy Wonka, uh, Fantastic Mr. Fox, um, God, I mean, he's a really well-loved children's author that we've all kind of – The big one for me of his is James and the Giant Peach. Yeah, that's a great one. It's a great one. Yeah. So he's a really so,
0: great – so There's so many things he's responsible for, really.
1: Very much an iconic uh, writer for his, uh, his respective fields, certainly. Mm-hmm. Um, but he'd written this film as a vehicle for his wife, who uh, is Patricia Neal. Right. And interestingly, she was.
0: A middle-aged Patricia right? Yeah, middle-aged. Yeah, she's. Yeah, interestingly, I know she is from uh, Kentucky. Yeah, she is, man. <laughs> it's crazy. So
1: let me just uh, see this. I want to make sure I'm saying something here. Sorry, this makes great. Uh... Okay, so anyway, she'd had a stroke uh, in real yeah. life, and, you know, she returned, and this was her husband's way of kind of getting her back in the swing of things. She, she did a lot of great films, man. he really brought, you know, she, Breakfast at Tiffany's, HUD, um, The non Keanu, The Day the Earth Stood Still, um, Cat on a Hutton Roof, I know. Just a ton of stuff. Just a pretty proper actress uh, from back in the day. And, you know, um, yeah, so it was a nice return for her, certainly. Um, And it also had got two other actors. Actually, I want to say on the air, the mother in this looked very familiar to me, but I don't remember what I'd seen her in.
0: Uh, Uh, Pamela Brown? Yeah. I'm going to wait and see if you know what you've seen or not, because I think I think you might, if you look through her filmography, I know you might she, know what you've
1: seen. It says she was in Cleopatra, which I've never seen. Mm. Um, Lust for Life. Can, let me just see very quickly here if I can see anything that really… Uh,
0: have, you seen, have, you, have you seen the Tales of Hoffman? Nope. Oh, I thought maybe you did. Maybe I was confused. Oh, I'm confusing that with the red shoes that you've seen. Red shoes. Mm. Tales, of Hoffman. Tales of Hoffman, you should definitely check that out.
1: Yeah, I will. That's another Paul Pressburger? Yeah,
0: yeah, definitely check that one out. Very good film.
1: Okay, Secret Ceremony. Okay, I've seen Secret Ceremony. (laughs) Elizabeth Taylor, Mitchum, Farrell. I I thought I saw this. I don't know. Anyway, you know what? I'll jump off. Um, So, yeah, this film, Warner Archive. um, We talked about the cast. uh, And another, oddly, you know, another sort of um, connection between the two films is this film is scored... By uh, an iconic composer. Yes. Bernard Herrmann.
0: So iconic, this film feels like it's directed by another director.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, you're totally right. Because Alistair Reid is, you know, with all due respect to him, um, I don't know much about him. He seems like he was more of a workman kind of TV director. Yeah, um, yeah. And then you do very much get the Hitch feel for this one because it's Herman, right? So.
0: Oh God, yes. Do you ever get the Hitch feel? Yeah, you definitely do.
1: Now this film opens up, and this is very much uh, an esoteric joke, but I had to make it. I hope you caught it. Did you see the name of the production company?
0: Oh man, I, th- I thought I wrote it <laughs> down, but maybe I didn't.
1: It, uh, it, it would have been Young Street, but I, I thought in my head that if you saw Youngie, that, Youngie, yeah, Youngie Street. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I thought I wrote it down. I didn't write it down, but I got a giggle out of that. Yeah, yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah and that's just an aside. The main street in Toronto is uh, is Young Street, but it's spelled Y O N G E. <laughs> and sure enough, this production company is is, is young that way, Young Street. Yeah. And I thought, oh, good old Rick, we got to talk about the Youngie Street production here. So
0: yeah, when I was uh, when I was up in uh, Toronto, uh, the time I went up there, I was like, hey, what is that, Youngie Street? we on Youngie? <laughs> yeah, because cool? kick. Yeah,
1: because, you know, when you live in a city, you take for granted some of the kind of um, the quirks like that because you've seen them, you know what I mean? So just a minor thing, but I I had to mention it to you. So, (laughs) Um, yeah, this film's pretty interesting, man. It's, uh, you know, it takes place in England. It's very much a British film, Um, you know, a countryside, uh, you know, it almost has sort of a a Grey Gardens feel in that it's this decrepit old stately house that this mother and daughter live in.
0: Yeah, man, it's it's totally it's totally the uh, my note is this might be the most gothic mansion I've ever seen anybody live in.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, wow, it's it's like out of a Tim Burton movie almost. Isn't?
1: Yeah, and it, it's not like a, a like a, a proper horror movie, you know what I mean? So it, yeah. it does feel that way for sure. I'd have you know,
0: to think. I'd have to think that maybe like Hammer or somebody had used that house before, though.
1: Yeah, it's it's a pretty pretty incredible house, man.
0: It says it was shot at Twickenham Twickenham Film Studios. And I'm thinking, you know, that maybe some. I'm looking through what else has been filmed there. Which wow, there's some stuff recently was filmed there. War Horse was filmed there, of all things. There's there's all kinds of shit that was. Well, I mean, obviously there's all kinds of stuff. I know Straw Dogs was shot there, some of it and everything. Yep. But I, I bet if I was to go through, and I don't have time to go through the, I don't know, 195 titles that were shot at Twickenham. Yeah. I'm sure there's some Hammer in there.
1: Oh, for sure. For sure. sure
0: Did we even synopsize this film?
1: No, we didn't. I don't think we synopsized the other one either. Um, So let me synopsize this. Uh, So it is a psychosexual thriller, as it were. Now, uh, effective psychological love story with a macabre twist not found in the original Joy Cowley novel. The dreary existence of middle-aged spinster Maura Prince takes an unexpected turn with the arrival of young handyman Billy Jarvis. But there is more to Billy than meets the eye. This yes. well crafted film, full of sexual tension and gothic flavor, was Patricia Neal's second after her return to acting. Her real life stroke worked deftly into the story by then husband Raw Dahl. Yep. Yep. So, yeah, there we go. Good on you for uh, reminding us of that. Um, really great rickety wooden bus stop that she stops off at.
0: Yeah, uh, uh, I really. My favorite things about this film are, are the locations. I mean, it feels very English. Uh, I mean, obviously it's shot in England, but it feels very English too. Like, um, everything down to the food, uh, the lamb chops at one point. Oh yeah. And, uh, which made me, you know, salivate a little bit. I haven't had lamb in years. My grandfather used to eat that all the time and that's when I'd eat it, but I don't eat it very often nowadays. My wife's not a fan, but, uh. Yeah, everything about this film feels incredibly English. Like, I wanted to have a a spot of tea while I was watching this film. You
1: wanted to have a spot of tea. I wanted to have some spotted dick, so.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That sounds more lewd than it actually is. Yes,
1: exactly. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, the film very much, it really relies on sort of um, the hapless uh, Maura Prince character because she's very much manipulated by her mother. And and just her mother, you know, the term I came up with, she kind of rules with an... You know, you would say an iron fist, but this is like with she rules with a white doily covered iron fist.
0: Yeah, it's 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 a strange. Uh, what I like most about Patricia Neal's character in this film is I love how just beat downtrodden she is by yes. living with her mother. Now, we all love our parents, you know, to some degree. But there's always something that drives us a little cuckoo about our parents sometimes, mm-hmm. too. Uh, in this case, I think you got a situation where she feels almost obligated to stay around her. Yes. No, we should say her mother's blind.
1: Yes, we should. That's very important
0: here. And so I think she feels like she's put her life on hold for I would say years. roughly yeah forty something years. You know, yeah, well, yeah. at least the last twenty years. Yeah, right. Because I mean she had to grow up and everything. So we don't know when the mother's gone blind or whatever. There's not that's not really talked about. Uh, so we don't know if she's lived with this the whole life. I would say probably not judging by her mother walking around and bumping into stuff. Mm-hmm. I would say that maybe she's blind from old age or something. Yep. Or maybe a disease that you know she caught in older age. But what I like about Neil's performance is you can feel the tired, haggard weight of this burden on her mm-hmm. the, the whole way through the film. And what's so great about the Billy character is it brings in a rejuvenation. Yes. A, a sense of youth, a sense of... Uh, what am I looking for here?
1: Uh, it, it, it harkens back to her youth, which was was probably nothing more than a smoldering ember, and now it gives it a little bit of a faint flicker of like a flame. Like it it breathes something into her life that she has not a long, long time.
0: Right, and then this is way out of context because this happens much later in the film. But I'll just say there's a great, 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 great moment where she sticks something in his pocket.
1: Oh yeah, it is a really great moment. It's yep. it's it's a bit darkly comedic, but it. Oh, well, actually – sorry. I was thinking about when she keeps something on his plate.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, there's that moment. (laughs) There's there's a lot of good moments between her and Billy.
1: Yes. Yes. Um, But – and that's the thing with the manipulation. Sometimes when you see um, manipulation and sort of domineering figures um, and sort of you see the the the, the figure that is underneath that thumb, it it almost feels like it's too much. But this feels – Real because there's some remorse by the Patricia Neal character. Yes, so she's almost like a penance. Like she feels like she has to, she has to do this for a lot of reasons. So she knows it's being done, Mm -hmm. but she feels as if she needs to do it. So it's not, you know, it's not so far blown. Like oh, come on, no one would put up with that, or you know what I mean.
0: Right. Well, also the smart thing about it is the mother figure. Even though she is overbearing, she's not so far overbearing that she's like, it's not like a Norman Bates situation. No,
1: no. It's yeah, exactly.
0: Which immediately, once I started hearing the Herman score and everything, I thought that's where we were going. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I got to say the score in this film, (laughs) you know, like a lot of Herman stuff in this period. I mean, it it really feels, you know, I started getting that total Hitchcock and Psycho vibe a little bit.
1: Oh, for sure. Well, you definitely do. Um, They talk about crab apple jelly. I'd love to try some.
0: We actually have that down here. It's pretty tasty. I did think of you. I thought if anyone would, you guys would. So. Yeah, Crab apple's pretty big down here.
1: You, you know what's not tasty are British fish fingers. We call them fish sticks. I'm sure you guys do if Ooh. Brian Higgins is listening. No. They talked about these fish fingers tasting burnt. They must have been bird's eye brand because <laughs> if they were Captain Highliner imported from Canada, they would taste good.
0: Yeah, here we go. We're restarting up the fish finger debate <laughs> that was uh, that was running wild through the GGTMC yeah. for about a week.
1: Yes, exactly. <laughs> um. You know what's interesting, too, is this film talks about a sex change operation in the church between uh, the priest be- becoming a woman and one of the women who kind of runs the church sort of like the Wizard of Oz behind the curtain getting changed into a man and becoming the minister. Right. I didn't – unless I missed something, I didn't really see anything – Like it just seemed kind of like filler. And I was fine with it because it was kind of an interesting little thing, but it didn't seem like it really had any relevance.
0: Well, that that that's you bring up the one thing that I don't like about this film. I feel like – if there's any major flaw this film has, I feel like there's a lot of filler from the kind of main storyline that we're being told. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of like little character moments, which in some films I love, but in this one, outside of the mom, Patricia Neal, and Billy, I didn't really care about anybody else in the film. That guy, that one guy, looked like a very like a like a young Christopher Lloyd slash Frank yeah, <laughs>
1: yeah, man, totally, <laughs>
0: yeah. And, you know, there was little moments and little society moments and stuff, which is kind of common in these kind of British films and stuff. But I just felt like there was a lot of filler in, in, in between, like a lot of the other characters I had no interest in.
1: Uh-huh.
0: And I don't know how you felt. I liked I mean,
1: them. I did like the the older kind of gossipy hen that was friends with the mother and I liked the Christopher Lloyd guy. I don't know why yeah. I did, but
0: Well, I liked him. I just felt like it, it just felt like a different thing. Well, I got what I did like about him is it's almost like, you know, with some of those characters they were sensing things obviously and Yeah. and they were starting to see things and stuff and you know. And of course, you know, the older ladies in the film, after we get a flashback later in the film, we start to see why the older ladies maybe you – like the director's trying to tell us something with the older ladies in the film and really – it must be said, one of the most bizarre flashbacks I've ever seen in any film.
1: <laughs> it's almost – it's akin to um, that Czech post-apocalyptic film where there's only women left and they ravage the men.
0: Oh, what is it called? Is it, is it called uh, – is that, is that Afterman? No,
1: it's not, oh, After Man. not Afterman. Je- um, I think uh, um, Shiftless Jeff was uh, asking about it on the boards and I have it. I was like, dude, I'll get it to you. But uh, he wanted like a specific print of it. Um, can't remember what, but it was a very odd flashback.
0: Well, yeah, and it's, it, it, in all of the weird, perverse moments we've had on this show, this one, without showing a whole lot, is one of the oddest,
1: most awkward, uncomfortable.
0: It was really weird, man. The yeah. mud, the the moment of uh, the of way it's
1: filmed low to the ground, up with like these women hovering over him like a pack of like.
0: It's as uncomfortable as a scene from like Jodie Foster's The Accused. It's as uncomfortable as something like that. Let's just say that. Yeah. yeah definitely. Not yeah. as graphic, but it's just, it just it really just a really really odd choice.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. Um, great low shot of it. There's some, like you said, there's some great uh, uh, places and 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 uh, buildings. Just some great stuff in this film. Like there's a really great skylight God. in this film too. So. Um, <laughs> what was I talking about here? Uh, we talked about that—a kind of a, an uncomfortable moment when we see the mother's a bit of a penny pincher, and Billy, who's who wants to be a handyman, because it's just the two women around the house—they can't keep it up. Right. Um, so they need a young, you know, a man to kind of help keep it up, or a woman. I mean, hey, you know, but at that time, it would have been a handyman. Um, yes. He, he tries to get the end with the mother by saying, oh, I'll go to church with you, and the daughter kind of rolls her eyes, but the mother really digs on that, so she goes to give him a suit, and it turns out it was the suit that her husband wore when he was dead, and she didn't want the good suit to go to waste, so he's wearing a corpse's suit, and I love his, his face when he finds out that it's a corpse's suit he's got to wear.
0: Yes, yes, I, I, it, it's a bizarre reaction, there's some bizarre setup with Billy in some ways, I mean, you don't get the flashback until well into the film, and I'm going to do a I don't know if this is a GG TMC first, but uh, I'm about to change a, a poopy diaper on air.
1: Nice. I don't know if I have, man.
0: That's good. <laughs> yeah, we're going to do it right now. So you might hear some uh, some arguing.
1: Just don't get it under your nails, man. It's a bugger yeah. to get
0: out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got the hand sanitizer nearby. Nice. Right, um, we're right, we're approaching the white phase right now, and just like that, it's done.
1: Very Nice. You learn to work with one hand, uh, because one yeah. hand is p- sometimes having to keep them in place. And
0: What you also learn how to do is you learn how to work quickly.
1: Yes, because you yeah, you got to seize that opportunity. Yes. <laughs> um, the pre I want to say this, man. The three principles, uh, Patricia Neal, uh, the mother, and Billy, who I'll, I'll call their names up here in a second, I think they're uniformly great in this film. Pamela Brown and Nicholas Clay.
0: Nicholas Clay would probably be best known as Sir Lancelot from the Excalibur, the John uh, Borden yes. uh, Lance, uh, Excalibur film.
1: Yes, that is correct. Yes. That is correct. So, yeah, just uh, I think they're uniformly great in this film.
0: I really, really, really like Nicholas Clay. I mean, I like everybody in the film, but Nicholas Clay was really surprised because I thought he was going to go one way and then he went a totally different way. And he was really a very pleasant surprise for me.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, he was really great.
0: The breathing, the breathing and the like almost like Hannibal Lecter type lip things. Yes. Awesome stuff.
1: Yes. No, exactly.
0: Very, very unsettling.
1: (laughs) Oh, yeah, it definitely was. Um, You know what else is awesome? Speaking about uniforms, man, I didn't know this, but Angus Young makes a cameo in a flashback (laughs) sequence.
0: (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. that might be what else. That might be also what talk about, uh, you know, (laughs) have a drink on me or something. I don't know what they're, you know, that flashback sequence.
1: (laughs) Oh, yeah. Um, There's a great, great, great payoff with a motorbike accessory. Yes. Really that unsettling, is. man. And it's Again, it's right in front of your nose, and then when it's used for something more nefarious, like, oh, my God, that's really dark, man. So, yeah, really great. Um, and that what follows that is a really fantastic, not amusing – it's actually a very macabre sort of Weekend at Bernie's moment.
0: Yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> that is a macabre moment. I, you know what? I had to rewind that because I thought something else had happened.
1: Okay, yeah. At first I did too, but then I kind of well, okay. Well, hang on here.
0: Yeah, so. and you kind of you kind of end up finding out what the title of the film because I didn't even know what the title of the film the film is all about. It's also known as which I also think is a good title. It's also known as the. It's not as good as the Night Digger. That's just got a great kind of gothic feel to it. But the other title is the Road Builder, which I think is also kind of an interesting title in a lot Yeah, of it
1: is. It definitely is
0: because uh, you can take the Road Builder in two different ways. I mean, he's you know you can argue about the actual literal translation of it or the metaphorical which is you know he's building these inroads into this family so
1: mm-hmm. oh no definitely um you know what's the well shot film i want to say without being flashy you know very british uh, thing it's not overly flashy but it's very well shot very technically efficient yeah. this um, is
0: the first warner archives disc i've actually watched. Yeah, uh, I've watched i've watched some transfers but this is the first warner archives disc i've watched is this the first one you've watched yeah yeah, it looks looks pretty good.
1: Yeah, it does, for a forgotten British film. This film, to me, is sort of like a bizarre marriage of all that heaven allows, the Douglas Sirk film, by way of Psycho.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's totally <laughs> what it is. Really, if you could sum this film up in two films, that's what this film is. Yeah. In a lot of ways. It's yeah. Douglas Sirk and Alfred Hitchcock having a baby.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely, man. Um <laughs> And I love, and I know you'll love this—the sad, quiet wail of the harmonica in this film.
0: Yes, yes, indeed. Really Guess great.
1: Really great. Um, there's some some bondage in this film that really must have been very shocking for
0: its time. <laughs> yes, I would say so, uh, including some uh, some male nudity that yep. would probably would be a little. It was a little bit more graphic than I expected, which was a fun thing to explain to uh, my wife who walked in during that moment.
1: Oh yeah, that was an awkward scene, certainly. Um, we get a Canadian tuxedo. Billy really yes. gives us everything, his whole arsenal, and then literally, um, this feels like something that could be a true story, you know, pulled from a headline. Yeah, yeah, especially as it goes on, and you know, someone alludes to having maybe a little more knowledge of things, without out, out and out saying it. You know? Right, right. Um, and then let my last one is let no one say England can't run with the Italians when it comes to mannequin death. <laughs> There's a fantastic mannequin death in this.
0: Yes, I, it's in my notes, but I, I okay. won't bring it up now. But I will say that it is one of my favorites. <laughs> yes, definitely. I love it, I love it. So you brought the storm up. I mean, this is very much an English film, but it definitely has a a strong, and I can't say Italian influence because Italy was kind of coming into its own around the same period, right? So yeah. You can't really say that. Right now I'm uh, wrestling with a kid who's decided to attack my... Uh, CDs and their, you know, CD cases are broken on the floor and v. discs are out. It's, it's, it's a disaster. The
1: hairless bear strikes again.
0: Yes, and what's so funny about the, the hairless bear is the hairless bear likes to smile and run away. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Which is very much a trait of the hairless bear. Yes. That, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's created. Create a disaster and then run away from it. Yep. yep. <laughs> you can always tell where the hairless bear has been, though. They leave <laughs> tracks everywhere.
1: Yeah, and it's not a breadcrumb
0: trail. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But anyway, uh, I really like the, the. I think the thing you brought up that I like most is the style of the film. I mean, it really has a very lush look to it. Uh, I was really surprised at how good it looked. I really thought for a while this film was going to be very. It is very dialogue heavy, but I thought it was also. It was mostly going to be set in the in the mansion, and and there wasn't going to be a lot of movement and stuff. But there's a lot of great scenes in here where they kind of go out and about and stuff. And I really like that old school motorcycle look. There's something oh, yeah. about that look with the goggles that I really just kind of dig. And uh, you know, it's it's really great. Uh, Billy. Uh, he has quite a few interesting moments, and uh, even a even a Brad Pitt Fight Club-esque moment, not not so graphic, but uh, where he's not picking his navel or anything, but he opens the door with his shirt off. So yeah, that actor should be said. I mean, he's very nude in uh, Excalibur as well, I believe. So I guess he liked uh, getting a little naked every now and then. <laughs> but uh, yeah, what I like is he kind of he comes into the house and he kind of brings some life into the house, and I think that's really what the film's about. And it has an ending that I'll be honest with you, I didn't see coming. Yeah, me neither. I thought the ending was gonna. I thought he was gonna do something else in that ending. Uh, I mean, you know, the horror fan in me he thought he was gonna do something else, and uh, he didn't do that. He did something totally different. So yes. I didn't see it coming at all. And
1: but I it, think I think he did what he did because he would have done what we thought he was gonna do.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think he, I think he caught himself in a moment of, you know, that he actually cared about a character, and that, you know, he he had to, you know, he felt like it was, he felt like it was probably the only choice he had. Right. I hate when we have to do this to be cryptic, but I mean, you know, you got to see the film. Hopefully, it baits people into watching the film because I think the film is definitely worth checking out. I don't think it's a great film, but I, I, it's one of those films that kind of come out of nowhere. I didn't even know about it, and it's one of those pleasant surprises. Like, if, you know, if I was to do List, and I don't do lists because you know how much of a tooth pulling exercise that is for me, uh, this would be like on my top first time seen films of next year, like, yeah. you know, of older films because. This one came out of nowhere, and I'd never seen it, never heard of it. Uh, I never pursued it, obviously, because I never heard of it or seen it. And and it really was a, kind of a, a little bit of a breath of fresh air. I felt like it was a little stale in spots, and the, my kind of big problems with the film was some of the ancillary characters. But other than that, I think the film is is very good. And and you know the transfers, the, like I said, the, this is my first Warner Archives. Desk. I know a lot of our community really get has bought some of these things. This is the first time I've ever seen one. Uh, it's really, really a pretty good transfer. Of course it's bare bones, sadly, no, not even no subtitles, but, uh, still, if you want to own it on disc and stuff, it does have great box art and, yeah. and you know, it is a, it is a cool film. There's no doubt about it. I mean, I'm going to show it to people, but it's a certain select group of my friends. Yes. Types, yeah, you know, absolutely. A little bit of my Anglophile films, maybe, uh, fans, films, uh, friends, something like that, something with an F. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't really have a whole lot more to add, man. I'll just say that the performances are all really great. Uh, Like I said, I just feel like there's some moments with the uh, Tim Burton stuff and things. But I I really – what I like the most is the Billy character. The three leads, like you said, but I really like the Billy character. And Patricia Neal is really, really great in this film. Uh, She really just kind of carries that weight of the world on her shoulders and on her face. And I thought that was pretty brave. Oh, definitely. You know, because you get – nowadays, it's even more prevalent now. I mean, actors of a certain – actresses of a certain age, they just don't get work. Nope. So it's always great to see middle-aged women, and that's not because I'm getting older. I've always thought that it's just great to see middle-aged women uh, come on screen and put in a great performance.
1: Oh, I agree, man, because there's so much life and character in, in the lives they've lived, the mm-hmm. yep. like stories they can tell.
0: It's great. Whereas, you know, when they're young, they can sometimes just tend to be eye candy, which is nothing wrong with that. But that tends to be Hollywood's or even filmdom, I should say, not just Hollywood itself, but film in general. It tends to be, you know, it tends to be a, the world of the young, sadly.
1: Yeah, unfortunately.
0: Yep. That's all I got.
1: Okay. Excellent. Um, make or break. Um, the, the reveal with the motorcycle accessory. Yes. Pretty right. genuinely shocked, man. Even, yes. you know, 40 years on. Mm-hmm. Um, MVT are the three principles. Yes. They're all just fantastic. And my score is a 7.5. I, I was kind of waffling between 7.25 and 7.5. But like you said, this isn't going to uh, shatter anyone's perception of film. But... It's a film that pretty pretty much is an unknown quantity, and, and I think it's a good film that kind of not too many people know about. So I think in yeah. the right hands, people would dig on this film as kind of being a, a diamond in the rough.
0: I think like Christine from Paris Cinema would probably dig this film a lot. Yeah, Emily. I think Emily, Emily. would eat it up, man. Not just because they're female, but because I know Christine likes Hitchcock a lot. and mm-hmm. It's definitely got a lot of that vibe and stuff, and I just think they would dig this kind of film a lot. I think uh, Shiftless would yeah, dig it. Yeah, yeah
1: roof. there's a lot of people i think most people in our community would
0: yeah uh okay so uh, my make or break i like all of the night digger quote-unquote scenes i like all of those scenes. They got, they got a lot of style to them which i didn't expect in this film because it doesn't start out with a lot of style uh but it, it really has some nice style and some nice gothic and and some very horrific moments like you said there's some very interesting thing with a part of a motorcycle um my MVT, I'm going to go with Neil alone. I love all three of the leads. I agree with you, but I'm going to go with Neil alone because you can tell this is written for her. And this is a chance for her to really shine. And, you know, after she's had, you know, you know, a, 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 well, I guess you could say a major disaster in her personal life. I mean, you know, a stroke is no joke. And, and I didn't mean for that to rhyme either. That sounded like I was like trying to do a hip hop version of medical studies or something, but no. I wasn't trying to do that. But I mean, strokes are, they aren't a joke and that she recovered so well. And, and you know, and uh, managed to put in this performance. I thought it was really, really. And she was a real beauty too. I mean, you should look back at some of the old pictures of her. I mean, she was a real gorgeous lady. And in this way, in this film, she's you know an older, but I still think she's a very attractive older woman. Uh, yeah. Maybe not gorgeous.
1: No, but then again, I think there's a nobility in a kin in what she did, in the poignancy that make her more appealing.
0: Yes. Yes. Kind of motherly, maybe. Maybe yes. kind of like an Oedipus complex.
1: <laughs> Which I think in one of our fi- in this film or the previous film, they even mentioned Oedipus. No, no, that was actually a Jerry Lewis film. Never
0: mind. <laughs> nice, yes. <laughs> that is. That's right. that is. I remember that in that Jerry Lewis film. <laughs> My score for the film is a little lower. Yours is about a half point lower. It's a 7 out of 10. I think this is a really sure. good like rainy day film. I just think that for some people, they're going to get a little bored with it because it is very dialogue heavy, and there's a lot of characters that I don't feel like are as important to the main plot they're trying to tell i feel like it could have been slimmed down a little bit i think it's longer than our other film and uh well maybe actually i think it's about the same length around the same length but it just felt a little longer for me i had a little bit more trouble getting through it but it is very well acted it's pretty well directed and very well written that's what i'll say seven out of ten excellent excellent yeah, that's everything yeah that is the big show and get into pleasantries real quick and I'm going to while you're doing that I'm going to check my schedule next week with my wife real quick so go ahead okay
1: good so check out our sister shows check out Silva and Gold show show OTC check out oh another guy that would like this would be Hammy Mr. Hammy himself Brian um, of course over at Hamakis. check out shows from the Skeleton Closet check out the podcast without honor and humanity for Sammy and I and generally excellent Asian film discussion check out Sina Awesome uh, Back in the Saddle Action Attraction, Married with Clickers, Paleo Cinema, Girls on okay. Film, uh, Glee Cast, Family Movie Night, 35mm Heroes, <laughs> our good friends doing yeoman's work uh, up in Across the Pond, up in Across the Pond. That makes a lot of sense. Chinster vs. Punner, speaking of Across the Pond, and then back on this side. State side, though, of course, NOTLP, The Big Red Podcast, Better in the Dark, v Cinema. Criterion Cast, the projection booth, and Mondo Film Podcast coming to Earbuds Near You very soon. Nice. Uh, while you're at it, check out our favorite couple in the NYC, paracinema.net, and subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. Their website has just been kind of revamped, looks really great. Um, NightmareTheater.Blip.tv, We the posters will be given away very soon, Teleport-City.com. And then we have All.blogspot.com uh, The GGTMC Rupert Pupkin Speaks And Rupert's been having a great list Of people's first time views Over at his blog So there's a lot of great yes. people Over there mm-hmm. Including um, Dennis uh, Cazaleo, um Jeremy Ritchie Just a ton of fantastic people Over there Yeah um, Rupert Pupkin Speaks As I said Deadly Dolls House Chuck Norris ate My Baby Fist of B-List Cinema Gonzo Playground of Doom Scared Shiftless and Shasta Moon in the Gutter Wax mask and DeathRattle.net, and LightningBugsLayer.com. This episode was brought to you by our one of our sponsors, DiabolicDVD.com. Check out also Cinema-DE-Bazaar.com for all your hard-to-find genre needs. Promo code Gentleman for 10% off your orders. Uh, hey. Check out OMG-Entertainment.com. GGTMC10 for 10% off your orders. BoulevardMovies.com, which I believe next week's episode is going to be brought but, to you by. Is that correct? Well,
0: no, and that's no? what I was going to talk to you about. We're going to have to push the feedback episode one more week
1: okay right. so then uh ooh, okay curve
0: but, but I will be picking a cinema obscura film
1: the modern I, oh oh you're gonna pick a camera obscura film oh, now,
0: yeah, why don't yeah, I, cam, yeah camera
1: obscura well, why don't I why don't I throw one back and pick a CDB film then
0: sure
1: okay so camera obscura uh, and then check us out on facebook twitter.com iTunes and we have a donate button okay uh-huh. so I'm gonna throw a real nice curveball at you so you're gonna pick a camera obscura film uh, which film is that
0: uh, it'll be Fernando Baldi's uh, Terror Express.
1: Very nice, and I, it's okay. So we're gonna stay in the uh, in the genre. Um, but I was going to stay in, in the country and do a Eurocrimer, but I think I'm gonna take it somewhere we haven't been in a while. I'm gonna I'm gonna pick arguably the, one of the sleaziest films Shaw Brothers ever did. Um, I think we're gonna do Bamboo House of Dolls, the uh, Hong Kong women in prison film.
0: Nice. I was just reading about that yesterday.
1: Oh, so there you go. Perfect. Excellent. So, uh, Terror Train and the Bamboo House of Dolls? Well,
0: not, not Terror Train, Terror Express.
1: Oh, Terror Express, that's right. Should my It so,
0: should be said, it's a return of George Eastman in some regard. He wrote the film and Baldi directed it, but he's not in it.
1: There we go. Okay, excellent. So, with that being said, I think there's only one thing to say, and uh, that is, Adios. Adios.